This morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and like I said, I'm excited about the Word this morning. Um, we started a new series a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, I'm not you now, um, called There is Power. And uh, I'll be honest, um, I have really enjoyed it. I don't really care if you have. I just really have, and um, I've needed it, and, and my, my feeling is, or my thoughts are, that maybe we have as a church. I know that just from stories and knowing some of you guys and talking to some of you guys, that and there's several of us that are just struggling with different things, different uh, avenues and areas of life, and maybe even at times it feels like, hey, it's over, the day is done, there's nothing going to go on good for me, and, and I know we get in that cycle, but I just want to say to you and to whoever else is thinking that way this morning, um, there is power, and there is power. Um, you may feel like it's over. You may feel like it's helpless and hopeless, but there is power. His name is Jesus. And whatever you're hearing this morning from the enemy or whoever else, that, that's a lie. Because Jesus is stronger and better and greater. And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. And this morning, we're going to do that again in the book of Daniel. Uh, or however, we're actually going to talk about Daniel this time. Uh, he didn't make it into the story last week. There was another couple guys. But this morning, we're going to be in Daniel 6. And this is probably one of the most famous stories uh, in the Old Testament. I would doubt that there are very many of us this morning, actually, that haven't heard the story. But um, I get that that's a dangerous thing, um, to, to, to preach something that some of us consider a children's story. Um, I'll just let you know, um, there, there's no such thing. Okay. Children's story. There's stories that children can understand, but this isn't for a group of people or a class of people. This isn't something that you can only find in the precious moments Bible that I actually have in my Bible this morning. And because of that, I know that it's good for me. And I just want you to know this morning, it's also good for you. Whatever you're thinking this morning, whatever notion you have this morning, it's good for you as well. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Daniel 6, and we're going to talk about the story of Daniel. In the lion's den, uh, some of you guys are like, oh, great, we're done. Um, and I just pray, Grace, that you'll hold on for a moment, because God has something uh, explosive in this for you. And uh, just to maybe catch us up, if we don't know, or maybe we don't know the whole story, uh, Daniel 6 doesn't even start out talking about Daniel. Again, he's just kind of a cliff note in his own book. Um, but he starts out talking about a guy named Darius. And Darius is a king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, there's some debate on who this man Darius actually is, but what we know is in Daniel 6, you can take out of his word, he's in charge of this empire at this moment. What's happened is uh, Darius has just rode into Babylon, he's taken over Babylon, remember Nebuchadnezzar, that guy, his day is done. Um, and now we have uh, Darius, who set up this new kind of area to his kingdom in, in Babylon. And the first thing he does is he kind of restructures the government in that area and he appoints 120 uh, satraps or something like that. You just make it up, say compliments to people, believe it. Um, but 120 satraps. And basically what these guys are is they're like um, county mayors or maybe small town governors of different areas over this new providence of um, Babylon. The problem is, he probably doesn't really intimately know these 120 guys, so he decides he's going to set up um, three people that are kind of over these 120 <laughs> people. So you have Darius, the king, this emperor at the top, and then you have these next three guys who are right under him, and then under that are these 120 
uh, ruling governors or mayors, and it just so happens today that's where Daniel enters the story. Daniel gets to be, because of his reputation as a good man and an honest man and a, a, a man that's very trustworthy, he gets to be one of these three officials. It says that in, in verse 3, Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and the satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. Now, this extraordinary spirit that it's talking about here is not something uh, that, that entered him. It's not some extraordinary ghost that followed him around. It's actually just talking about his character. But Daniel had a character that was unlike any of these other men. And I'll just give you a hint here. Daniel's character didn't come from his mom and his dad. Daniel's character came from he was a man of God. At this point in time, Daniel's been around in his book for a little while. And at this point in time, he's probably somewhere around 82 years old. This is not some little boy like you envision maybe who gets chucked into lion's den. This is an 82-year-old man who's been around, who's served other kings, who's been in this kingdom, and God has elevated him in another kingdom. And here we see again God elevate him in this kingdom because Daniel is a man who follows God. Daniel is a man who knows the law of God and keeps the law of God. Daniel is a man who's very devout to God. And because of this... Something happens out of this. When we follow God, we can't be sleaze balls and scumbags. That's not how that works. Eventually, following God will lead us to a place because when we follow God in the dark, God changes us. And for 82 years now, or somewhere like that, Daniel has been a man who has followed after God. And over this 82-year period, God has molded Daniel into a man that is a man who's very um, good with his character. He's a very trustworthy man. So this... New King Darius hears about him, knows him somewhat, maybe through other people, and he decides, I'm going to elevate you. And then inside of that, these three administrators, that God elevates him even more so that he becomes something like the prime minister of this new land. So it's King Darius, and then right under him, it's Daniel, who actually does all the stuff. Because the king just, you know, eats and sits in a gold chair or something. And then these other two administrators, and then 120 Satraps. Now, as you can imagine, this doesn't really go over well with the other two administrators and these other 120 men who think, why not me? Why didn't you pick me? Right? You've been there, right? You've seen somebody get a promotion, like, why not me? Or you've seen somebody get picked by this person to be whoever, best friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and you're like, why not me? You've been there. This jealousy rises up, and they're like, man, I, I don't know how Daniel got picked for that. I don't know how he got to be that. So they started looking for a way to destroy Daniel. How can we discredit him? How can we make the king hate him? How can we make him knock him out of that position? Because as long as he's in that position, I can't get to that position. Just like, hey, how are we going to do this? And they start trying to attack him based on his character. The problem is Daniel's character is as close to flawless as you can get. They can't find any kind of corruption in him. They can't find embezzlement in him because it doesn't happen with him. The other guys, maybe. Maybe there's something on their scorecard. It's not like the election this year. Like They, they can't find anything on Daniel. So they start looking and digging. What are we going to say? And, and after they completely vetted him, they find out, man, we can't get him on his character. So if we're going to get him, we've got to get him based on something else. He loves his God. So let's attack him there. We can't get him on his character, so let's get him on his affiliation with his God. So they go to the king, and the first thing they say to the king is, hey, we've all talked, everybody's talked, all the administrators have talked, all the satraps have talked, and everybody's in agreement. 
for 30 days, nobody in the kingdom should pray or ask any man or God for anything except for you, king. You're the new king. You gotta show your power. You gotta show you're powerful. You gotta you gotta prove you're the man. You can accomplish anything. These people need to put their trust in you, is what they're saying. I think it. All the other administrators think it. All the satraps that they, they think it. Everybody's in agreement, King. We gotta trust in you. So here's the way. Nobody can ask anybody for anything or any God for anything except you for 30 days. And if they do. Here's what you should do. You should take them and you should just chuck them in a hole full of lines and then throw a stone in front of the door. That sounds decent, right? It's a great thing to do. I'm glad they don't punish people that way. Sounds horrible, actually. Now, see, the problem is, in this moment, when they came to him and they said, everybody agrees, the king immediately thinks, well, even Daniel agrees. They're speaking here on, on behalf of Daniel. The problem is Daniel's never been consulted because they're trying to get him thrown in a hole full of lines. So the king says, okay, that's a great idea. And then they say, well, here's the problem, king. In, in the law of the Medes and the Persians, anything the king says can never be revoked, revoked even by that king. That's actually a law. The um, Old Testament confirms that law in a couple books, and then the outside writings actually confirm that. That sounds like horrible law, right? The next guy can't come and change it. The guy that made the law can't even change it. Like, that's the law, and it can't be changed. You can't just wake up the next morning and be like, you know what, that was a horrible idea. <laughs> and they remind him of this. Once you say it, you can't change it. He says, okay, well, if everybody agrees, he signs the paper. Great idea, right? Seems like, not really. So anyway, this law is signed, and then uh, Daniel hears about this law, so what he does, instead of praying wherever he would normally pray, he goes up to his room, and he opens the windows towards Jerusalem, and he would pray three times a day towards Jerusalem. These weren't prayers like, hey, thanks for waking me up this morning. Hey, thank you for some food. Hey, uh, let me go to sleep now and wake up in the morning. These were real prayers. And these men knew that Daniel would do this, so what they did is they <laughs> kind of got together, and they concocted a way to get in there and to see him do this so they could bring him before the king. So what we see is Daniel's praying. These guys walk in the room. They catch Daniel in the prayer, and they go tell the king, hey, you know that Daniel's not listening to your law, right? You said anybody that prays or asks anybody for anything, including a god other than you, has to be thrown in lion's den, and Daniel's praying in his room to God, not you. <coughs> So now you got to throw them in the lion's den. And they follow that up with, um, by the way, you can't change the law. Full story. This is the moment we kind of are going to enter the story this morning. And uh, 13, we see they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you. Didn't care about what you say. The king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. And it says in 14, as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. Now, the first thing you think when you see this is the king was mad, right? The story last week, we've seen Nebuchadnezzar get mad at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and like throw them in the fire. He actually heated it up even more because he was. He was so mad, but then listen, this is not the same displeased. It goes on to say he set his mind on rescuing Daniel. 
He came here in this moment, realized what these men had done. He had jumped into a situation because everybody apparently agreed on it. Everybody thought that would be the thing to do and went with the public opinion. That's why it's a horrible idea, by the way. He jumped into this situation. He's like, well, since everybody's doing it, everybody says it, let's just go for it. And then they realized at this moment, these men had never consulted Daniel. Actually, this entire thing was just a trap to have Daniel killed. At that moment, the king realized, man, my friend, my trusted advisor, this person that I care about now is going to have to be thrown in the lion's den. And it says he set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. That actually grieved the king so much that he sat around for the rest of the day thinking, how am I going to get him out of this? in this moment the king knows I can't just change the law I can't just go back on what I've already decided I can't just change everything because Daniel's my friend I've said this and the law says that I can't even change it and I'm the king so I'm kind of in a hard place here so the rest of the day he sits around grieved at the spot he's going to have to kill his friend and he thinks how am I going to save him I see the king's first problem is he's what how am I going to save him even, even the king in this story has no power to influence the situation that's about to happen. I just, I just want to say, and this is kind of out of the story this morning, but um, if, if you're in that situation and you're sitting around and your thoughts are, how am I going to blank, you already are starting in the wrong spot. How am I going to influence the situation? You're not. How am I going to change today? You're not. You sit around all day and think about it. You sit around all month and think about it. You sit around all year and think about it. You can't rescue you, and you can't rescue them. Because it's not in you. The king is supposed to be the most powerful person in the land. And not even the king here has the power. This is in 15. These, then these men went to the king and said to him, this is after sitting around all day thinking about it, you as king know it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. They just come back and kind of rub it in. By the way, you can't do anything. It says in 16, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. This is the moment, right? This is the story. This is where we're all kind of on board. I don't know this. They come in and they say, King, you can't do anything about it. You can't change your law. And then the king has to give the order to have his friend thrown into the lion's den. Bring him. Now, can you imagine being Daniel at this point in time? Let alone the king. Like the king obviously distraught, probably not in a very good mood right now, probably not super happy right now, knows he can't do anything, feels helpless and hopeless. But can you imagine being Daniel in this moment? Daniel has done nothing wrong. Daniel didn't walk down the street and be like, I'm not praying to you guys, and I'm not praying to the king. I'm going to talk to God, and everybody should be with me. He didn't do anything like that. He quietly went in his room, opened, it wouldn't affect anybody. And trusting to follow God. For 80 
something years actually now he's been on this path of following God. He's done the right thing, said the right thing, ate the right things, he's participated in the right activities. He's, he's been a follower of God for years, put his life on the line a couple times to follow God for years. And all he was doing was continuing to try to follow God, and then out of that, the punishment for continuing to try to follow God is he's about to be mauled to death by lions. That's not probably the best kind of stamp on the story right there, right? Today, if I was like, hey, let's follow God, we're going to be eaten by lions. I don't know how many guys would line up behind me, right? And Daniel, in this moment, just like the other people in in, in these stories we've been talking about, he has a choice. He can get mad, and he can curse God, and he can be aggravated because this situation for 80-something years now, he's seemingly wasted his life to follow a God who now, it seems, has taken his eyes off of him. He can do that. God, I can't believe you're not paying attention to me. I've kept all the festivals. I ate the right thing. Like, I never even had cheese. It's not supposed to be a thing. I never ate bacon. Like, I've never ate 80-something years. I've never experienced bacon for you. And now you're going to have me killed. This is ridiculous. And he could have got mad, and he could have fought God in this moment, and he could have decided, well, you know what, God, if I'm going to go into here, I'm going to tell everybody on the way there how you didn't listen, and you didn't care, and you didn't see, and you didn't look everybody I passed, and say, don't follow God, just go ahead and pray to the king, because God ain't going to do anything for you. I can do that. Or, you can choose to follow the God who for now 80-something years has carried him and carried him and carried him and carried him and placed in jail, got rescued him from jail. He was a slave in captivity and God raised the slave out of captivity in, into the highest seat other than the king in, in all of Babylon. There's, there's no way in the world that he should have got to this spot. Daniel didn't just wake up one morning and said, you know it would be great? I'm going to run for prime minister. I'm going to get elected. I'm going to do all the things I need to do. I'm going to elevate myself. There was never an elevate himself that you can read in any of this book. All he did was he followed God, and in the process of following God, God continually elevated him up. He wasn't seeking power. He wasn't seeking uh, uh, popularity. He wasn't looking for any of those things. But in the process, in the day-to-day of following God, God elevated him up. That's actually how it works, by the way. You want to be elevated and just follow God. God will take care of the details. So he was a sweeper or a mopper. And then God said, you know what? You did a great job mopping. Let me elevate you up. I'm going to put you in a different spot. And you're going to be a money counter. Money counter. Okay, you've done great on money. Let me elevate you again. Let me elevate you again. And God took him over <coughs> slavery to a process of 80-something years, and he raised him up to prime minister over all that one. There's no way this man should have ever got there. And in this moment, he could look back and he's like, man, God is asking me over and over and over and over again. So I'm just going to choose to believe that the God who rescued me then can rescue me today. But the God who hasn't left me for 80-something years, he's not going to believe me today. So there's dragging him, and this 80-something-year-old God is probably just walking in. I'm like, well, it's going to be fine. So the king gave orders, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him in the lion's den. And here's what the king said to Daniel. Kind of at the end of his rope, knowing there's nothing he can do. Here's what he says to Daniel. May your God 
whom you serve continually. That's an important word. Not your God whom you serve when stuff gets bad. Not your God whom you serve when it's convenient. Or not your God whom you serve when there's nothing really else to do. But your God who you've served now, your whole process of your life, I've only known you for a couple days. And like, I know from your character, God's doing something in you. He's been doing something in you. May that same God rescue you. This is a prayer from the king who doesn't even really believe in that God. In this moment, the king releases <laughs> this into the hands of God. And he says to Daniel, man, you've served that God of yours for 80-something years. I hope he doesn't tell you now. That's basically what he says. And it says in 17, the stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. <coughs> Can you imagine? I'm throwing you in a hole with a bunch of lines and then I'm going to cover up the hole. And you're just going to be in there. In this moment, it was probably quite literally the darkest moment of Daniel's life. Because now all the sun that was coming through that opening is gone. But spiritually, it was probably also one of the darkest, if not the darkest moment in Daniel's life. Because when you go in a hole with a bunch of lions, you don't expect to come back out of that. Lions, by definition, will kill you. That's what they do. <laughs> They have big teeth and they have sharp paws and they eat meat and you are meat. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> so in this moment, you, you can imagine the hopelessness that would come into that situation, right? If I throw you in a hole with a bunch of lines, there's not going to be a lot of hope in that moment for you. You're probably thinking, life is over, the day is over, death is here, I'm 80-something years old, so you could run, I'm done now. Because an 80-something-year-old man is not enough to fight off a whole full line, so that's not how that works. In this moment, fear is very real. In this moment, doubt is maybe even very real. But in this moment, we see the stone roll in front of the door. It looks like it's done for Daniel. And it says, Then the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. If you don't know what this is, it's got a ring, it's got like a little seal on it, and when you see that, and they press it in wax, and when you see that, you know that's the king's. And not only did the king put his stamp on it, but his nobles put his, their stamp on it too. And what that was saying to anybody on the outside was, no matter how loud he screams, you can't let him out. Because if you do, it's going to be a worse day for you than Daniel. And what was saying to Daniel on the inside was, nobody's coming to help you. You're going to be in here a little while. You're going to be in the moment, in the hole, with the lines, with the stone, and, and nobody's coming to rescue you today, Daniel. That's a pretty hopeless spot to be in. Some of you guys, you clearly feel that way, right? In your situation right now, you're like, okay, nobody's coming, nobody can help me, nobody can do anything. You, you can just go ahead and impose that feeling on the Daniel because this is that moment. This was in 18. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. So Daniel's in the hole with the lions and the king here, his friend, who's not a bad guy in the story, so don't go ahead and get there with that. He goes back to the palace, but he doesn't go back to the party. 
he goes back and he gets in the palace, and what he does in the palace is not just resume life, and he's like, oh, Daniel's in the hole, there's no hope for Daniel, nothing's going to happen for Daniel, can't do anything about Daniel, so let's just forget about Daniel. He goes back to the palace, and even though he knows he can't do anything, he goes back and he does this weird thing, he decides to fast. For the entire length of the time, until I can go check on Daniel, I'm not going to eat anything. Um, instead of eating, it says that um, he, he had no diversions that were brought to him. In other words, he's like, I'm not dealing with any kind of business right now. I'm going to be alone. And it says that he couldn't sleep. So the king's not just in the palace taking a nap, but he goes back and he decides, man, I'm not going to eat. Nobody's going to bother me, and I'm going to hole up in a room. And the whole time I'm in this room, he's thinking about Daniel in this hole. Now, maybe this didn't look like, oh, God of Jerusalem and Israel, please help. Daniel, your servant. Maybe that's not how that looked, but you can imagine in a room by yourself there were some thoughts that were, hey, if you're real, don't let Daniel die. If you are who Daniel thinks you are, and you do the things that Daniel thinks you can do, then you say, Daniel, he's been your servant for 80-something years now. He's been following me. I've not even known him that long, but I know because I've seen him and I know him like... He believes in you. And if you're real, you do something about it. In this moment, he goes back, and his, his attention and his thoughts are always continually on Daniel in this hole in the ground with these lions. And, and in, in this hopeless situation, because of Daniel's faith now, the, the king has a little bit of faith. Maybe he's not full on, thank you, Jesus, in the room right now. <laughs> But he's seen how Daniel has lived his life. And in this moment, when Daniel's in the darkest moment of his life, he's thinking to himself, man, if there's anything to this thing, if you, if you are at all real, why don't you just go ahead and say Daniel? That's what we call opportunity. Right? In your dark situation, God is creating opportunity. God had to put... Daniel in a hole to get Darius. So he shuts him in. He goes to his room and thinking towards that cave. And it says in 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Now this is a crazy thing to do. This is actually a resurrection morning moment right here. This is a little nuts. <laughs> Because a man that goes in a hole with lions very rarely comes out. So you have to ask yourself, and why is the king bothering himself in this moment? See, because he's the king. If Daniel's going to be dead in a hole, he can go check on him at noon. He can go check on him at 3. He can go check on him at 6. He can come on Wednesday. He can do whatever he wants to because Daniel should be at this point in time just a couple bones laying in the hole with the lions. But it says at first light of dawn, light represents hope, by the way. I don't know if you're on the same page with me. At the first sign of hope, the king couldn't do anything all night. And then he sees just a little bit of sun cracking up over the hill. And he thinks, man, it's morning. <coughs> the seal can come off now. I'm going to go check. So he gets up and 
hurries to the lion's den. And at 20, it says, when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish. He cried out in sorrow and pain. There was some, there was some internal struggle going on there. He cried out in his last hope, is what it is. To Daniel, and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? He runs up, he probably has some people stronger than him in the kingdom, probably not listed a bunch of stones, but they got to roll the stone back. And he yells into this moment, he says, Daniel, servant of the living God. There's a little something there. I don't know if you get that. Has your God, whom you have been serving your whole life, has that God, has he had the power to save you from the lions? Could he get you through? That's the question. Could your God save you from that? Could, could your God get you out of that? I don't know. He's not my God yet. Could your God, does he have the power to rescue you from the lions? Because lions, that's pretty certain doom right there. Has he been able to rescue you from the lions? And then he says this in 21. This is crazy to me. Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. Here's what he didn't yell back out of the hole. This is why I think it's amazing. <laughs> get me the heck out of here. <laughs> You drop me in a cage with lions, and you see what I yell. It's time to open up. How's the ice cream? That's not that's not a conversation that should be going on in this moment. Daniel should have been screaming, like, I don't know what's happening, or he should have just been afraid to answer back because there's a lion and maybe it lost him in the dark. There should have been something other than, yeah, King live forever. It's great. It's good down here. This is not a panicked, hopeless man in a hole yelling back out. Is what I'm trying to say to you. This man, some way, somehow, in the midst of certain death, found peace in a hole full of lions. Enough peace and enough certainty that he can yell back in that same moment, surrounded by things that want to eat him. He can yell back, yeah, may the king live forever. Straight down here. You threw me in a hole. You rolled a stone in front of the hole. You sealed the hole. You left me in your nut all night. You're a great guy. May the king live forever. Love the king. But in this moment, Daniel's not freaking out. He found peace in the midst of the lions. And then he continues in 22, and he says, My God sent his angel, one of many, by the way, one guy, and he shut the lion's mouth. He's come right down here and he's like, Say. And they haven't hurt me. For I was found innocent before him. And I have not committed a crime against you, my friend. This is what he says back out of the holes or in the bylines. And it's no problem down here. I'm just hanging out. I slept really well. I don't have a juice leak. <laughs> because my God sent an angel. This is one guy. I don't know how many lines there were, but it's plural, so there's more than one. An 
and he just told them to shut their mouth, and they did. They just laid down. I, they were soft. I took a nap. <laughs> laid down on it. Fine skin blanket. Still in the lap. It was great. Because, man, God knows me. He, he knows for 82 years, man, I'm not turned away, not not run away, still here, even in the hole of the line. He took care of me. The scariest, darkest, craziest situation. You guys think you're going through something. You get there in the hole of the line. Um, and then we'll talk some more. A certain doom and death. And in that moment, after all night with the lions, which is a long night probably, he yells out of that hole, it's no big deal down here. Go to the back, I don't care. Just hanging out with the lions. Can I kind of just speak to you outside of this for just a second? I don't know what you think you're going through that's more hopeless than that. And I'm, I'm not making light of whatever you're going through. Because I know some of us, we're in real struggle and real kind of torment, and, and it's real bad, and I get that. But if our God is the God who can look at lions and tell them to shut their mouth, and they do. The, the thing that had all the should have had all the power in the situation. Because that's our God. Can, can I just say to you this morning that I, I don't know what your lion is. But God can tell it to shut its mouth. See, God, the living God, God of Daniel, the God who rescued him and raised him up as prime minister of the kingdom from a slave to almost a king, that, that same God. Is the same God we speak of today in this room. And, and your lion maybe isn't a real physical furry lion. But whatever it is that's causing you to be in that moment of hopelessness and it's over for me and doom and death and I don't know that I can beat this and nobody can help me out with this and I'm alone and there's no way up out of this hole. Whatever is keeping you down in that hole, um, you serve a God who is able to just merely speak. A God who is the God of angel armies, not one guy, but an army full of the same guy. And in that moment, in that place of this is the darkest place in the world, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, and everybody's looking at that, and they're like, man, I'm just praying towards you because I don't know how you're coming up out of that. In that same moment, it's the same moment that God can look at the most powerful thing in your life from the place of free power, and he can say, shut your mouth. Death, shut your mouth. Addiction, shut your mouth. Pain, shut your mouth. Suffering, shut your mouth. The devil, shut your mouth. Torment, shut your mouth. Anything and everything. I can't even hit all the things, but I just want you to know the same God that is in this story and tells all the lions, not one thing that wants to kill him, but a bunch of things that want to kill him. 
And he looks at all those things and he says, you know what, today is not the day for you. You're not going to win today. It's hopeless looking today. It's helpless looking today. And maybe nobody out there can rescue you today. But I want you to know, God is here, and, and, and God can rescue you. See, because in the beginning of my book, I just want you to know, it says, in the beginning was God. That's it. That's all you get at the beginning of the story. In the beginning was not pain. Amen? Pain didn't create God. Pain has no power over God. In the beginning was suffering. He didn't say that in my Bible. That in the beginning was God. Suffering wasn't before God. It has no power over God. Death wasn't before God. It has no power over God. There was a God who was there, and nothing else was there. And he spoke everything into existence. And I just want you to know, if he created it, he can command it. So whatever hopeless situation, helpless situation you feel like you're in, I just want to remind you, God made the hole, God made the lions, God made the stone. And God even made the sea. And that's the God we're talking about. So Daniel calls out and says, hey, no big deal. The lions, they didn't touch me. In 23, it says the king was overjoyed. There's a little seed of hope. Now there's like a tree of hope. And he gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. So the king, the same king that put him in, calls him out. Notice how God didn't just levitate him up out of the hole, and he didn't just beam him up out of the hole. God didn't pull him out of the hole. God just went down in the hole with him. And the king calls him. So Daniel was taken out of the den uninjured. Listen to this. For he trusted in his God. I'm going to say that again. This seems to be a correlation. So Daniel was taken out of the den uninjured. For he trusted in his God. Daniel would have heard himself wandering around the dark running from lions. If not for this. The lions may never have touched him. It could have been the same exact story. But Daniel would have been freaking out. Oh, the lions, they're more powerful than the other oh, lions. They're going to kill me. Oh, the lions are going to crush me. He'd have run around, knocked himself out on a rock, and slept in the floor for the night. But Daniel trusted in his God. In the hole, in the dark, with the beast, Daniel trusted. I'm not getting out of this hole because you're still running around looking for lions. Not Daniel. Did you get trust as a theme this morning? <laughs> I didn't until like 32 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> Then the king gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. This is, I just want to be honest with you, just to show us our lines weren't effective. 
they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Our lions did not eat Daniel because they just got fed. Some of you guys look at this and you're like, well, that's Daniel's story. That's different. Something probably happened, like, <coughs> they couldn't even pet him. They couldn't find him because it was dark or whatever. No, our lions were fine. They were good. They did what lions do. And these people who had, out of jealousy, tried to have Daniel kill them now, the victim of their own plot. But I just want to read this to you, because this is probably, to me, one of the most important parts of the story. This is, Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, language who live in all the earth. So now he's up all night for a different reason. And he starts out, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. What? Laying in bed at night just a little bit ago, just kind of hoping there was something to this God that Daniel believed in. kind of hoping that maybe, just maybe, this God that he didn't believe in previously had the power to do what Daniel believed he could do. Then God rescued Daniel and that little seed of just maybe did something crazy and it grew into, I'm going to write a letter to everyone, a letter by the way that cannot be revoked as long as the Medes and the Persians are in, in power, kings can't even change their mind on these things. And he says, hey, I hope you guys are doing great. Um, but I just want to let you know there's a new law. And um, I just want you guys to know that when you hear of the God of Daniel, I'm commanding you to shake. <laughs> you you got to tremble before that guy. For he is the living God. Amen. A couple days ago, I wasn't sure. A couple days ago, he was just some guy Daniel knew, some God that might be there, might not be there. I was still worshiping rocks and stuff like that. But but he, he, he they put him in a hole with lions, and then he come out of the hole, and there wasn't even scratch on him. I believe that he's the living God. And uh, by the way, he endures forever, um, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. It's never going away. That's, that's pretty powerful, because I just met him a couple minutes ago. And his dominion has no end. Oh, and by the way, he rescues and delivers because um, I just watched that, and he performs signs and wonders, because lions don't eat people when they're around that God, uh, in, in the heavens and on the earth, for he has, here's how I know all these things, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This is the letter, in stamp sin. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian, because it can't be revoked. Even the next king had to go by what this king said about the God of Daniel. Can, can I just say, um, we focus so much on Daniel in the story, and maybe that's great because maybe some of you guys are Daniel in the story, and you're like, I, I need to hear that God shuts the mouth of the lion because there's a lion and he's breathing on me, and then I don't want him to kill me. So maybe that's you. But the story started with a man named Darius. 
man who didn't believe anything really about this God, a man who just turned the world into Babylon to take it over, and then God elevated Daniel into a place where this man would even care about Daniel. Daniel wasn't elevated because Daniel was super awesome. Daniel was elevated because he had to be in proximity to Darius. And he gets in this moment, and then God takes him from the highest moment in all the kingdom of Babylon, and he throws him in a hole and fills it with lions. You're like, no, Darius did that. No, God did that. Darius didn't elevate Daniel, and Darius didn't put him in a hole. And he did all this, maybe maybe so Daniel could know, I really do trust God, and I really do believe God, and, and lions really won't eat me when I'm around God. Maybe he did put him there for that reason, and I'm sure he got some of that out of that. But I think really the greater purpose in putting him in the hole was Darius needed to know that there's something to the God of Daniel. So God takes Daniel, and he puts him in the hole, and in this moment, Darius is like, wait. Daniel follows a different God than everybody else that I know. <coughs> and Daniel's a different kind of God than everybody else that I know. Daniel, Daniel lives by a different code. He lives by a different character. He, there's something different about him, and maybe there's a correlation. He believes so strongly in this God that his life is actually shaped by his belief in this God. <coughs> People at the temple, they don't do that. Let's go in and throw some fruit in there and get out of there. But Daniel, man, he's awesome. And Daniel's a good man. He doesn't deserve to die. He doesn't deserve to be in this. He doesn't, there's no reason he should be in this. And if he believes in that God, I just, maybe, maybe he's real. Maybe, maybe that God he believes in, maybe he can rescue him, maybe he will rescue him, and this hope comes up in him, and then he sees God actually deliver him from that moment, and at that moment, his life has changed forever, and he even writes it in a letter so you can see it today. Can I just say to some of you guys, maybe some of you guys are in a hole right now, and you're really worried with, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I going through this? Why am I, why is God putting me through this? Why, why is he letting me endure this? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, he's not letting you do it completely for you. Maybe God's not punishing you like you think he is. Maybe God's not ignoring you like, he, like you think he is. Maybe God's just trying to get somebody in your life to write a letter that looks like. Amen. You're praying, God save this person, God save this person. Maybe he's saying, okay, but first, if you really want that, I'm going to have to put you in a hole, and I'm going to have to put some lines in there, I'm going to throw a stone in front of that, and then they're going to watch how that plays out. And then when I rescue you from that, they're going to watch you walk in, they're going to watch you walk out. And when I rescue you from that, man, then, then is the moment. That, that's the moment. You're like, no, God, I just want you to, like, they can just come to church, and they can just sit there, and then, like, something happened, and they get up, and they go down here and pray, and that's great. And maybe that's part of the process. Or maybe just the process is, I'm going to throw you in a hole, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to pull you out. And when I pull you out, if you'll let me use it, I'm going to change Darius, and then I'm going to change the kingdom. Amen. And maybe just maybe, 
It all hinges on this word trust. Amen? How do you respond in the whole is a complete reflection of that word. But I just want you to know this morning that in that whole, your God is still the God he was when he took you out of slavery. Slavery to sin and death and hell. Your God is still the same God he was in Ephesians 2, which we heard last night. That brings dead people into live people. That's still the same God. You can't do that. Your God is still the same God who called out into the darkness and brought you into marvelous light. In the hole, filled with flying. It's still the same God. He didn't change. He didn't, he didn't look away. He just got down in the hole with you. And he's like, hey, you want to be part of changing the world. You want to be part of changing your family. You want to be part of changing Knoxville. You want to be part of changing your workplace. Well, let's go find the hole. And let's jump down in there. And you just trust me. And I'll bring you out. And those people you've been praying for, and I'm going to change eternity for them. And then through them, probably for some other people. Chain reaction with God. This morning, I know that some of you guys are like, man, it really sucks in this hole, and I get you because there are things that kill you in there. And my God is the God who created it. And there's no hole or stone or lion that has no power. And this morning, he's saying, please, just trust me. Amen. Yeah.